Hey, welcome everyone to another episode of Music, Movies and Madness. I'm David, your host, joined by my wonderful co-hosts at the moment. It's Ian and Martin. Hey, fellas. Hey, yo, yo. So this week, what are the greatest collaborations, studio collaborations, in music history? And I say studio because I think we've all seen live acts where a muso brings on their mate and they bash out a pretty good cover um you know or rendition but uh this one's really just looking more at the studio stuff where an artist may have brought in someone to provide you know to i don't know jazz jazz it up a bit or provide a bit of um bit of mojo into the into the recording um and it might be it might be because things are tense or things haven't gone so well or they've hit a brick wall or any number of reasons so we're kind of looking at those sorts of um collaborations and so i challenged the boys to come up with three tracks but hopefully they'll come with a few more because i reckon we've got some double ups but there are some absolute pearlers out there and it wasn't until i um actually one of them i hadn't even thought of until i read the paper this morning and you'll find out later on what i mean um and i was like yeah that is actually a good collaboration i hadn't even thought of it so we'll kick straight into it um Let's go around the table like we usually do. Let's kick off, Martin, with your first one. So I want to take us back to 1986 for my first one. Um, actually, I think, well, two of mine are 80s. Three of mine are 80s. They're all 80s tonight. I wouldn't necessarily say these are the greatest, um, but they're definitely memorable. Um, and I wanted to go for something that maybe was an unusual combination of artists that, um, you know, probably paved the way for a lot of things that followed. Uh, and this first track definitely does that. Um, so I've gone with um, a, a, a rap rock crossover. DMC and the mighty Aerosmith there, uh, better walk this way. Um, interestingly enough, um, neither party really wanted to record it. Um, they had, you know, this was sort of like 1980, early, early, mid 80s, right? And at that point, rap was just sort of coming into the scene. Um, Aerosmith were basically written off as being way past the sell by date um, and just 
kind of drugged out by that point as well. Um, and um, neither, neither party wanted anything to kind of do with it, but the producer was um, Rick Rubin, um, who's a bit of a mega producer, he's done heaps and heaps of rock acts over the years. Um, and uh, he basically persuaded them that actually, you know what, we could be onto something by, by kind of pulling this together. And um, yeah, needs to say, it was a worldwide hit. Um, so it was huge. It was yeah. huge. Do you know yeah. why yeah. it was huge? Because it crossed over. Right? Yeah. And it's right, it exposed one side mm. to the other. Yeah, the rapper's going, actually, that's a pretty damn good riff, man. That guitar riff we got going there. And you had the rockers going, oh, shit, these guys are, are good. And the music video is the funniest part of the whole thing because they play yeah. to that. Kidding. And both versions are really good, like the Aerosmith original oh, version. Oh, yeah, to totes. And the, and the rap version, they're both good songs in their own right. Yeah. I think the, this one actually, I think, rocks harder than the original. Yeah. Not? The original's got more of a swing kind of. Mm. Correct groove to it right but the just just for listeners the music video opens with them um on stage and a wall between between them you got aerosmith on one side run dmc on the other and the first opening lyric aerosmith are about to burst into song and run dmc take the take the lead vocals and the aerosmith guys are going what the fuck <laughs> it's brilliant <laughs> it's so clever thank you martin that was bloody good and what a good track to kick us off man ian over to you mate what have you got the first one I chose, well, I'll go for my 90s one first. Uh, it was recorded in 1999. Uh, it came out as a single, and it's the song is called Still Dre. And this is um, Dr. Dre featuring Snoop Dogg. And Dr. Dre's kind of, his career's not really going that many places. I think he's sort of had his day. And... So he decides, I think, with his producer to uh, bring in Snoop Dogg, and the result is this. Still Snoop Dogg and D.I.A. Guess who's back? Still. Still doing that shit, Andre? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Check me out. AK, though I've grown a lot, can't keep it home a lot. Cause when I frequent the spots that I'm known to rock, you hit a bass from the truck when I'm on the block. Ladies, they pay homage, but haters say Trey fell off out. My last album was The Chronic. They wanna know if he still got it. They say rap's changed. They wanna know how I feel about it. There you go. What, still what Dre. And what year was that one? Uh, 99 it was released. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, you've got, I mean, Dre's basically on his ass going out the door quick, uh, brings in Snoop Dogg for this great collaboration, uh, who features on the whole album. And um, where does he get up to here? Peaks at number 93 on the Billboard uh, Hot 100. So yeah, a massive uh, career boost for Dre and a great example of collaboration, right? 100% man. Yeah. It sounds great, doesn't it? Ah, still. Yeah. Yes. Dre's Dre, Dre, production is always pretty top-notch. Mm -hmm. And always. look, the, the Snoop Dogg, that was the era of Snoop Dogg. He featured on so much stuff, right? It was the man that you sort of got in the studio yeah. Yeah, yeah. to get you the, 
get you the the numbers, right? He's Mr. West Coast hip hop, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he, yeah. Bloody good, man. Glenn, mate, over to you. What have you got? Okay, um, I'm going to go back to 1969 um, and a track called Give Me Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Um, arguably, this may be their possibly greatest ever song. Um, some say that they've never never done anything better than this song. Um, exactly. Um, story, <laughs> stories are legendary um, about the song. I mean, it is about a nasty time um, and, and, you know, basically the world, 69 things were pretty bad, much like they are now. Um, and so they wrote the song about murder and destruction and stuff like that around giving me some, sh- give me some shelter. Um, yeah, Keith Richards said on the very last note of the song, he says the neck of the guitar fell off and you can hear it on the original take, he reckons. It's that legendary, you know, he played it and then the thing fell apart. I mean, awesome. But what's really magic about the track is that um, their producer at the time, Jack Nitschke, recommended that the song needed something a little bit more and it was a late, last-minute, late-night recording session and they needed to get um, a female vocalist. So they called up Mary Clayton and brought her into the studio and... Um, uh, she absolutely delivered and with a performance that has been, I would say, copied many times on many records of other acts as well. But I think nothing beats it. So let's have a little bit of Gimme Shelter. delivers on the song i mean it's been copied so many times on the latest rolling stone album there's um lady gaga doing her very best to try and ape and copy it um and blows almost a valve as well trying to do it but i think nothing nothing is is um awesome like mary clayton delivering on this track um she went home afterwards and had a miscarriage 
Um, yeah. Some say that it was because of the exertion of the actual track and actually just giving it everything to this blooming thing. So there's that's stories commi- around that's commitment. Com- yeah, exactly. So the song, so the song is really kind of that mystic sort of evilly sort of sound. You know that swampy blue sound coming through. So yeah, whatever they were mojo, where they were cooking up. Um, it is pretty spectacular mm. and a bit of magic in the studio. Um, mm. And how many bands then made sure that they had female vocalists come in on, on many, many tracks after that. Got to wow. say, it's, it's ridiculous how good that new Stones album is. Like, yes. For a combined age of like probably nearly 900 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. I can still rock it. It's, it's insane. <laughs> I have to agree. I mean, I actually think it's pretty decent as well. And it gives me, um, you know, it makes me look at our elders and expect more from them because if the Stones can do that, then, you know, come on, Mum and Dad, you can step up your game, eh? (laughs) Yeah. Get out of that wheelchair. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Get into it. That's right. What's taking you so long? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I reckon that's a cracker, eh? Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. And we've gone back in time. Nice. I'm going to bring us back forward in time now, back to the wonderful 80s like we were talking about before. Okay. Choosy Lover. Anyone had a Choosy Lover before? It's not a cocktail, Ian. No, I don't. No? Well, this song started out as a Choosy Lover. I'm sure you know it. It's got such a good groove. I'll tell you about it shortly. go started out as life is a choosy lover did you know that this is a three-way collaboration between phil collins um obviously ex-genesis and very successful solo career philip bailey from earth wind and fire and nathan east an acclaimed american bass guitarist jazz guitarist by all accounts from jazz group foreplay interesting name um, he played. He played with Clapton for years. He Nathan. did. He yes. played with Clapton, Michael Jackson, yeah. Daft Punk, many. everyone. So the story goes: Phil Collins in around '84, he's producing Bailey's um, solo album called Chinese Wall, um, and it sort of started out when Collins and East were playing chords on the piano, and um, I don't know. One of them began singing the singing the words "Choosy Lover" over those chords. Um, and it sort of developed uh, into Easy Lover, which then developed into a bit of a thing. Um, it gave rise to the slang term Easy Lover in the 80s, referring to a woman who uses men and then leaves them, akin to the female version of a player. It 
was a huge hit, right? God, I just, there's too much to say, but it was like, out. how long was it? 23 weeks on the US Billboard Hot 100, peaking at number two. Mm. Um, it's on all the greatest hit songs. It's one of those tunes from the from the 80s that was on the radio all the time. Still played a lot, but um, yeah, quite a cool little collaboration between um, three very cool dudes there. And I just love that riff. That's why I played that part when um, that that drum groove and that bass groove is just so damn catchy. Yeah, so there you go. Easy lover. Choose your lover. Back around the table. Over to you, Martin. What's your second okay. pick, mate? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't the easiest to kind of find these today because there are so, there are so many of them. But, like, I tried to kind of think of ones that you know, really stuck in my mind. Um, and for my second one, again, another 80s one. Um, and as a possibility, this could be a double up as well. But we'll see. Um, I've gone um, a song that I've, I've previously done on the show as well. But you know what? It deserves a second play as well. Dusty and the Pet Shop Boys? <laughs> is it? it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> Dusty and the Pet Shop Boys. Um, <clears throat> yeah, originally this was written in 84 and it was going to be on their first album um and they couldn't decide on who to get to sing the the since you went away part um the record label was pushing for them to get either tina turner um or barbara streisand to sing it um they really didn't want dusty springfield um and uh chris tennant um, who uh, was a huge Dusty fan, mm. um, said, um, no, I'm going to stick to my guns. We want Dusty Springfield to come and do it. Um, at that point, she was pretty washed up as well. I hadn't had a hit for well over a decade. Mm. Um, again, heavy on the drinks and the drugs and everything else that was going on. Um, and um, she turned them down. Um, so... Um, they then released their first album, had this massive hit with West End Girls, uh, which she heard, um, and then they got a phone call from her manager saying, actually, you know what, I think Dusty will kind of come and do this song for you. Um, went into the studio, um, apparently was incredibly nervous, but she was like that apparently anyway when she was in the studio. Um, she wasn't, she didn't have a lot of confidence about her, her singing. Um, um, and... Um, she was also a bit of a perfectionist with her vocals. Apparently, it was a very, very long session. Um, they ended up with 20 vocal tracks to choose from and cut and paste from. Yeah. Uh, but because um, she just said, no, let's do it again. Let's was, do it again. Was it, I bet her voice was naked. Must have been. Pretty bad. But I guess so. But, um, you know. A stiff drink. Probably in a program, yeah. though, given her background. But, yeah. Well, totally. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah um, I don't know if you know this, um, but the song was actually written by three people. Um, the two guys from the Petra Boys, Chris and the other one. <laughs> and um, a singer, uh, a, an American songwriter called Ali Wells. You ever heard of, I'm oh, sorry, Ali Willis? You ever heard of Ali Willis? Nope. She no. actually wrote, right, she's written some huge songs. She co-wrote September and Boogie Wonderland with Elf Wind and Fire. Um, she later went on um, and had her biggest hit, which was she wrote the lyrics for the Friends theme tune, I'll Be There For You, the Rembrandt's thing. Oh, shit, that's um, it. Blame her, is it? <laughs> yeah, that was her, yeah. Um, 
But um, yeah, she's had some massive, massive hits um, oh. as a songwriter or as a lyricist, but she wasn't really an artist per se. Um, yeah, so let's just play a bit of this because I think this is probably it's probably one of my favorite 80s songs of all time. And that what I find about it is it's one of those songs you can listen to and then immediately want to kind of put it on again and have another listen to it. Um, oh, yeah. It's got a really weird structure. We talked about that last time. Um, and the reason for that was each each of the three songwriters actually wrote a different part of the song at the same time. So, and the the, the dusty bit was actually written by by this woman. Um, are you um? Ailey Wells. Are you going to play the intro drum bit? Just the. I can do that if you want me to. I I put that on loop for the kids. They love that in, drum intro so much. Right. I looped it. It's such a cool intro. Electronic drums, right? Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, this is for the kids then. Awesome. Who, who produced it? Uh, that's a good question. It was produced by same dude that did all Bowie stuff. Stephen Haig, oh. somebody called Stephen Haig. Okay. Um, I don't uh, think Dusty's. I don't think Dusty's vocals pop in that at all. I don't think they're far enough forward at all. Mm. They need to be way more forward. Mm. Mm. Just to my yeah. ear, listening back to that. Yeah, well, I don't think you can get too much dusty. She's amazing. Her voice needs to be right at the front. Yep. I don't think you can. You can. I don't think you can OD on Dusty. I think she's brilliant. Yeah. I think the maybe thing with was... it is, is, it's maybe just because his voice is so kind of mm. down. They had just such kind of balance. That's out right. To that, yeah, they had to bring her back because she was otherwise it would be like too damn good. Just too, too, maybe, too good. Maybe the style of production at that era as well, right? That time. Yeah. Sort of totally. Soft. 
held back vocal. Yeah, mm. interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that was Dusty. <laughs> oh, very cool. Thank you, Martin. Awesome. Ian, over to you. Yep. I went for the second song I chose was uh, 1987, this one, released in 1987. Uh, came out as a single. Uh, it's, they started writing it in 1985. That's when the song began, and it was uh, written over a two-year, apparently uh, troubled two-year wow. development history. One song? So, two one years? One song. Wow. Two years. It under it underwent uh, many rewrites, mm. uh, lots of uh, aborted attempts at recording. It went through several uh, female vocalists before they found the one that they wanted to add to collaborate with that made it all happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the song goes like this. Of course, the fairy tale of oh, New York. Oh, yeah. Great yeah. choice, Ian. Do, Only did awesome you do that as well? I did. Kirsten yeah. McCall and the Pogues, yes. Can you add to anything to it? Well, I've got That's the whole write up here, mate. <laughs> wow. Well, we've only got <laughs> six minutes, so make it quick. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. It's one of the, it is one of the great collaborations. And it was a, um, when I read about it, she was brought her back, brought her back to maybe relevant again. Um, oh, where is it? I don't know, but I do know that it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, who was producing them at the time? Uh, who was producing them? That guy, Elvis Costello, was producing the Pogues at the time. And it was a, I think it was a bet between him and their manager, Frank, whatever his name was, if they could, uh, if they could write a cheesy Christmas song or something. <laughs> 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 Da -da. <laughs> one of the biggest ones ever well, it's been it. yeah i love it i know it's cheesy most christmas songs are but it's one of my faves 1977 uh we're going back to 1977 this time um two friends um uh decided that they would clean themselves up of drugs and get the hell out of um los angeles and head to europe um and along the way they made a, where there are no drugs yeah unfortunately they did <laughs> decide to, to so they did decide to go to berlin which happened to be the heroine capital of um, europe at the time but anyway they didn't know that well they made anyway uh, along the way they decided to make an, a record um the first one was called the idiot um by iggy pop um and it was produced by david bowie um Effectively, they became friends in the 70s. Iggy's career went off the rails big time after the Stooges. And um, they both decided, we've got to get out of LA, otherwise we're going to die. Um, and so they worked on each other's, well, Bowie worked on Iggy Pop's record. And it's almost, almost in some ways a co-collaboration the whole way. Um, I'm going to play a bit of the original China Girl 
um, which is probably not appropriate anymore either. However, um, I think the Iggy Pop version is unbelievably brilliant. The story is basically about him and an unrequited love. He'd fallen in love overnight with someone that worked at the studio and she told him, shh, no, go away, shut your mouth. Um, and basically he improvised most of the lyrics while standing at the microphone doing the song. So, I mean, that's pretty well, was awesome. She, was she Chinese? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a yeah. thing back then, man. I mean, Lennon uh, started it with May Pang. Right, and yeah. they all wanted. They yeah. wanted. They wanted to go there. Anyway, yeah. So it was quite, quite entertaining. So I'll play <laughs> um, a bit of China Girl. Yeah. Um, and you'll get to hear how slightly different and more twisted it might be with Iggy doing it. name iggy pop um yeah so brilliant um great story behind it very different sort of delivery of the song but it's all there you and the guitar him? out guitar outros so so good um, um no i just think you know you just it, 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 detox and that's what came out yeah it's more one it's more one of the lighter songs of the album but oh, it's Jesus. brilliant it, it, it is absolutely brilliant yeah. record Definitely check it out. It's his acoustic uh -huh. rendition. You should hear the it's, heavy it's, it's absolutely fabulous. I've never heard that before. That's good. Oh, well, prefer, you should check out Bowie's, the album. Right? Yes, yeah, so do I now. Yeah, um, Bowie sounds too clean and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. This is this this is the good. essence of the song. Something mm. a little bit twisted and nasty. Yeah, it sounds yeah. dark. Very it is dark. dark. Shit, mm. Bowie's is a lot more. This is the. Uh, Nice. After 8 p.m. version. <laughs> mm. so yeah, I like the, that. The Idiot, and it's a brilliant record. Absolutely right. phenomenal. So there's a lot of electronic in there as well. Um, but then again, Bowie was moving heavily towards use of electronic music, the influences of craft work and things like that. So that all blends together as well. Um, and then, the, you know, the mighty Brian Eno comes on the scene and works with Bowie on Heroes and Low. And um, so, yeah, um, when you think about master producers, Brian Eno through that period was 
probably top of the top. Mm-hmm. Everyone wanted to work with him because he helped force you to go in a different direction. There was nothing same, same with Brian. So yeah, um, The Idiot, totally check it out. It, it's edgy and it's interesting and it still stacks up today. Another very thorough, in-depth review by Mr. G. Thurston, as usual. So I'm going to wrap up this first half of the episode with a collaboration that goes back to the late 60s, like yours, Diplin. Um It is one that I think was out of necessity more than anything. The band was in a dark place. Heading towards a dark place is probably a little bit fairer. Enjoy. Clapton on While My Guitar Gently Weeps playing for the Beatles. I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that George wanted to bring him in because there was a bit of tension going on around around the band, right? And it was like, let's bring in someone and it kind of just like a pressure valve and the others have to behave themselves and stop being such dicks. Um, probably including George too, to be fair. I think they all probably had a piece in it. But um, Eric came in and... Um, played a pretty handy solo there uh probably one of the best choruses of the time but um i think importantly also um uh, provided a bit of a um pressure release or whatever you want to call it from what was a very tense time uh that's white album if i'm not mistaken era yoko's yoko's on the scene then obviously because she plays on that album sings on that album um, and uh, and so yeah, there's um, there's a and of course they re- rinsed and repeated that with Billy Preston in the late sixties, right? With um, the Let It Be sessions on that. So yeah, that was my pick for my last one. We'll sign off there, guys. Thanks everyone for joining us. Do tune in for the second uh, episode of our collaborations show, and um, we'll catch you then. Cheers. Thanks. DMC.
and the mighty Aerosmith there uh, they walk this way.